Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. I'm Charlie Grimes, ex-athletic coach, exercise physiologist, and athletic director turned pastor, podcaster, and author. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the courage, the money, and the time to truly step into my God-given giftedness to encourage, teach, and lead people to a deeper and more fulfilling, meaningful life. After many failed attempts and lessons learned, I now enjoy the work of coming alongside people, hearing their stories, and helping them start where they are, take what they have, and do what they can. This work used to only be a daydream for me. I created the Encouragers United podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step teaching and encouragement through both meeting new people and unpacking the valuable lessons found in the Bible. If you're an ambitious leader, teacher, pastor, coach, or even a parent who's looking to make a positive impact in the lives of everyone around you, we've got a show for you. It's the Encouragers United podcast, and it's available on all major platforms. Search for us also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join my community of positive-minded, enthusiastic leaders at charlesrgrimes.com. We're here in Jonah. The second of four messages where I'll cover uh, really this wonderful, magnificent story about a man who's on the run. And today we're going to get into chapter two. So if you'll remember, Jonah last week really basically turned his back on God's command, right? He says, you know, I don't really want to do what God has told me to do. He's running in disobedience. God sends a storm. He's on a ship, right? The sailors panic. They don't know what to do. Jonah kind of owns the truth here. And he's thrown overboard. Right? That's where we left the character of our story here last week. And that is found in chapter 1, verse 17. It reads like this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine? Why would God do this? Isn't the powerful storm and the whole saga of the lot being drawn and Jonah confesses that he's disobedient and he says, ah, it's my fault and, and he sacrifices himself in essence and they throw him overboard. Isn't that good enough? Why is God doing this to his servant? Well, there's a saying that actually Winston Churchill once uh, coined during World War II. Winston Churchill once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Some of you remember that Winston Churchill was a powerful and influential leader during that time of history. But I think God maybe aspires or agrees with this statement as well. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And so he has Jonah right where he wants him, in the belly of a great fish. And God is bringing Jonah back. But Jonah has a choice here. He really does. It may not seem like he does. But as we will see, and I want you to know, Jonah had a choice. 
And actually, you and I have a choice, just the same. When we're running and the wheels of our life have fallen apart, we have a choice. And I truly believe that it, it's, it's that it's not that God is being mean here. He's not being mean. He's actually showing mercy. And God's got a funny way of showing mercy. <laughs> but as we start chapter 2, you'll read this. From inside that fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. What a powerful, powerful verse. And if you're like me, when I was a youth, I had a little Bible with a margin. I distinctly remember writing, I bet he did. He prayed. I bet he did. I bet he did. And like I told you last week, God was not trying to pay back Jonah for his sin. He was actually bringing Jonah back from his sin. The same thing has happened to me, and maybe it's happened to you. God got Jonah's attention. And I want you to understand this one universal truth today. If you hear nothing else, hear this. It's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. Think about his condition. He's tried to embark upon a travel of 2,500 some miles away from the destination that God told him to go to. A terrible storm, well worse than the one that we endured this morning, was beating upon the the hull of this ship until Jonah is simply thrown overboard to try to swim for it, perhaps. And he can't swim. He swims like I do. He sinks way better than he swims. And he's swallowed up by a great fish. I had to throw this in here. It's never too late to pray, no matter how bad it is. It's never too late to pray, but... It dawned on me this week that I need to remind you that it's never too early to pray either. Why are we getting to this point in our story that now he prays? (laughs) How about you and me? That's exactly the way I am. I get into the deepest figurative belly of the fish, and then I want to say a prayer. Now again, it's never too late to pray. How about if Jonah was to pray as soon as he got the first word? Whoa, 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 Lord, I'm not sure I want to do that. Let's talk about this. But he didn't do that, and oftentimes nor do we. This verse is, this little section, this prayer is absolutely action-packed for us this morning. And so each verse, I want to go through this prayer. What did he pray? (laughs) What are you going to say? He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. You see, notice the tense here, the the. The tense of the passage is past tense. And we do believe, as we established last week, that Jonah wrote these. Jonah wrote this book. And so he wrote this in past tense. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Wow. The same God that he was running from. Yes, now, he was coming back to that God in prayer within the digestive system of a great fish. He was praying, not back when he was on the ship, not back when he was on dry land in Joppa considering this whole ordeal, not back when he first heard what he claimed to be the ridiculous words of God. The sailors were no different. The sailors were being rocked by this this storm. What did the, the Bible say they did? They were praying. To their gods, please help us. We're going to die. Sometimes we find ourselves in the toughest of positions, the most difficult of times, and we pray. 
Just this week, I was laying in a dental chair. And I had to have some major uh, work done on a particular tooth that was giving me trouble. And I had my mouth open for what seemed like an hour. And a very apologetic dentist and assistant were telling me, it's almost done, just hang in there just a little bit longer. And I was praying, Lord, please help these professionals do a really good job and get this over with. But the strain of situations does call us to call upon God. It's never too late to pray. And God will always hear the cries of His children. Do we really believe that, though? Sometimes I think we get this all backwards in our minds, right? We, 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 think, that it, we think that if we're good enough, God will hear us. Well, if I just you know, do the right things and don't do the don'ts, then God will hear my prayers. But then when we're bad, oh, shucks, God is, you know, God is ignoring me. I don't deserve His grace or I don't deserve His love. And that's just simply not true, brother, sister. I'm here to tell you this morning, God will always hear your prayers. Always. I say that again. Always hear your prayer. Because He loves you. He really does. And I think sometimes we sit here and we can nod and smile and say, yep, that's good. But when we're, we're in the belly of our own fish, we act very differently. And some have titled it a functional atheism. A functional atheism. That when it really comes down to it, in our heart of hearts, we don't believe that God hears us. And I think Jonah stands as a wonderful, magnificent example to prove that heart wrong. The one, the heart that doesn't believe that you're valued or that you're worthy because of what you've done. Jonah stands in opposition of that conclusion because Jonah is a servant of the Lord, a prophet called by his name who hears the words of God and decides not to do what God told him to do. He ends up in a big, big mess here, right? Literally in the belly of a fish swimming in the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. (laughs) Where could I go except to the Lord? And the miracle here that I want you to believe of our prayers is not that we can somehow talk to God. The miracle is that God is actually listening. And He truly is. Jonah continues here. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You know, when my children were little, I was kind of the honored one to be able to be the last guy. I was kind of the bedtime guy. And I can remember three little girls. And one time I feeling a little bit, little bit snarky, I guess. Cause I'd known that one of my daughters had had kind of a bad day. And she was kind of a rascal that day. And I said, honey, do you believe that, that daddy loves you more when you're good or when you're bad? And she didn't think too long and She answered exactly like you would think she would answer. Oh, well, you love me more when I'm good. No, I actually don't love you more when you're good. You love me more when I'm bad? (laughs) Your daddy loves you the same no matter what. And there is nothing that you could do, honey, 
that could ever make me love you less. And there is nothing, my little daughter, that could that you could do to ever make me love you more. You see it? It's a two-edged sword, isn't it? That coin has two sides. God will always hear us, and He always loves us, no matter what we've done. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life, or this is your very first church service that you've ever experienced. <laughs> I don't know if you're running from God. Maybe you're running back to God. If you feel like you're running away from God, you need to know that the God of the heavens, the God of the universe is listening. And that He does hear you even in the depths of your pain and your despair, like Jonah. You hurled me, Lord, into the depths of the sea, the very heart of the sea. The currents swirled around me. Your waves and the breakers, they swept over me. You see, I actually thought it was the sailors that threw him overboard. No, not really. God was ultimately the one who threw him overboard. God will get your attention. And oftentimes in my life, I've experienced running. I've run away. I've gotten myself into some pretty deep pits at times. But when I've looked back, I've always realized that I saw his hand guiding me. His presence going before me. Kind of like those footprints in the sand, right? Look that up if you haven't heard that great story. John Ortberg is an author that I've read. He, he actually wrote a book called Caring for Your Soul or Soul Care. He writes this, Redeeming is what God's into. He's the finder of directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of missing coins, the embracer of foolish prodigal children. God's favorite department is the lost and found department. thought that was great. And it's so true. No matter how lost you may feel, even today, I want you to know and to never, ever forget that God's grace is guaranteed. God's grace is guaranteed. You see, Jonah did a lot of going down, right? You think about that. He went from where he was to go down to Joppa. Down to Joppa. He went down into the hull of that ship to go to sleep, to get away from it all. He went down, down, down in his attempt to swim in a hurricane. And he went down into the belly of that fish. But here, in this prayer, I think he starts to look up. Because the cliche says when you're so far down, you only got one way you can look, right? And that's up. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. He continues in his prayer, I said I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. What a powerful statement, right? I've been banished from your sight, God, but I'm going to look to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Think about that. Whatever's in the belly of that fish, he joined it. What a mess. This is very powerful. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. He went down, down, down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the hull of that ship. He went down to the roots of the mountains. 
That's pretty low. So I looked it up in the deepest part of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so this is the body of water that we're dealing with here. The deepest part of the Mediterranean Sea is over 17,000 feet deep. 17,000 feet. We have no concept as to how deep. And who, Lord knows whether the fish actually swam all the way down to the bottom of the, let's just hypothetical it and we'll say that he did. 17,000 feet down to the roots of the mountains. I, I don't know about you, but I actually have a very strong fear of deep water. Anybody? Shark week? It freaks me out. And whenever I've been like at the ocean or something, you get out there and you, you're kind of over your head and you're, you're, you're just knowing that there's a continental shelf where some, at some point the, the ocean drops off 5,000 feet or something crazy like that. I have a fear of deep water. And I can't even imagine how deep 17,000 feet is. But the closest thing that we could use to visualize this is actually to see a mountaintop that's 17,000 feet. Right? So if I looked up at a mountain that was 17,000 feet high, that's how deep the deepest part of the Mediterranean Sea is, and that's probably how deep Jonah got. And I found a mountain that's just about 17,000 feet. It's Mount Foraker. Mount Foraker in Alaska is 17,053 feet high. And so just turn that over. Flip it upside down. I can't even imagine how deep that is. I've been banished from your sight. That's chapter 2, verse 4. I've been banished, Lord, from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. And there's something in this that was really powerful. You see, why did he say that? You ever think about that? Well, I'm just going to look to the temple. He's in the belly of a fish. What, how does he even know which way to look? But he's looking there in his heart, right? And there's something to that when I say, I'm going to look to the Lord and look to his holy temple. Well, what, what temple is that? Well, in Jonah's time, it's actually the, t- the temple that Solomon built. It's the, it's the temple that Solomon built. And we can read actually about that temple, how Solomon built it, all the materials, the things that he did. And then, it's actually in 1 Kings chapter 8, we can read some of the words that were spoken about that temple when it was dedicated. Okay? Fascinating. So I will look to your holy temple, Lord. And what does that temple mean for a Jewish prophet? These are words spoken in 1 Kings chapter 8. And when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people, Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and the spreading out of their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all that they do, since you know their hearts. For you alone know every human heart. You see, the dedication of this temple was, it was baked in that God would respond to those who are looking to Him and looking to His temple. Even Jonah, perhaps 17,000 feet at the bottom of an ocean, of a sea, looking because God knows His heart. Beautiful, beautiful story. In verse 7, he goes on, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
He goes on in verse 9 and he says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will, fa- will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes to the Lord. Comes from the Lord. My prayer rose to you and to your holy temple, Lord. My eyes turned to the temple. Not to Tarshish. To the temple. Right? My eyes and my prayers aren't toward Tarshish anymore. They're toward you, God. You know, maybe your experience in your childhood was a lot like mine. When I was a young man, I could get into some pretty good trouble. Call it I was a smart kid or mischievous at times. With my dad often out of the house working, my mom cared for us, and she was usually the chief disciplinarian, and she would spank me. I know, it's a modern day, uh, we talk about spanking. Let me just commit to you and and admit, I I needed spanking. I I needed spanking. So regardless of what you thought of it, But as soon as my mom would make a move for the drawer where she kept the plastic spatula or wooden spoon, I was a changed kid. I'm a new man. I'm sorry, Mom. We're good. I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry. I'm a changed man. All she had to do is just reach for the drawer. I'm good. Please, Mom. It's okay. I'm sorry. But you know, my mom was a great mom, and she'd say, yep. Yep, I understand, son. But you're still getting a spanking. (laughs) And she spanked me anyway. She didn't do it out of passionate anger or hatred or, you know, strife. It was very controlled and it was a good thing to bring me back into right relationship between my sister or her or the dog or however I'd gotten myself into trouble. But I find that I can connect with Jonah into understanding that God's discipline is thorough, but that it is not without thought. And I want you to understand that God's discipline for us, His love for us, never fails. That His discipline always has a purpose. And maybe something's going on in your life right now. Maybe you feel like you're being disciplined. The author of the book of Hebrews mentions some words about discipline. Let me pick it up here. It's chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Moreover, we've all had human fathers or mothers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. But how much more we should submit to the Father of spirits and live. They, our earthly parents, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. He goes on in verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You see, and then we jump back quickly to Jonas's, Jonas' words in verse 9. But I'll, with shouts of praise, I'll sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I'll make good. I'm a changed man. God disciplines those that he loves. And I'll say salvation comes from the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of a man running back to God. I'll make good on my vow. I'll do what I promise to do for you, Lord. And you know what? Look at the last phrase. Salvation comes from the Lord. Not from anybody else. Not from my old friends back in, uh, you know, Joppa. Not to the sailors on the ship. 
Nobody can help him right now. You understand? He realizes that nobody can help him. And that's not just the theme of the book of Jonah, right? That's the theme of the book. The whole thing is the narrative of God's love for us. And check this. As we bring this down to the end here, here's one of those last truths that I love. Do you realize that God does indeed give second chances? Look at verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited out Jonah onto dry land. And we can't just end it there. you got to just step quickly into chapter 3. Go ahead and read it with me. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Mm. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. Let's memorize it together, right? God gives second and third and maybe even 50th chances. After all the trouble, all the running, all the shame, all the seaweed, the guts, God's word comes to Jonah again. He's the God of second chances. And we don't take advantage of that, but no matter how deep we end up, God still has a plan and a purpose for us because He loves us. And so for me, this fear of the great deep kind of took on a new meaning this week because if God has cast us into a deep sea, we feel perhaps we've been abandoned We need to try to understand that He disciplines us because He loves us. And that that sea could actually represent His great love for us. That yes, even the fish that swallows us is an agent of God's love for us. Bringing His purposes and His righteousness and His holiness and His maturity and His sanctification. came across a wonderful quote that I'll end with here. And we're going to sing a song give you a chance to process a little bit of this. One of the great, great founders of our Anabaptist faith, Mennonite, Menno Simon said this, Oh, Lord of hosts, oh, Lord my God, when I swim in the merciful waters of your grace, I find that I can neither plumb nor measure their depths. I want everybody to take out your cell phones right now. Take out your cell phone if you've got it on. Those of you that are watching online, you're going to do this with us, okay? I want to show you the power of what's going on right now. Miracles can happen when you move, Holy Spirit. We've got this little computer. I learned this week that this computer in my pocket right now has about a hundred times the strength of the computer that took men to the moon in 1969. A hundred times as much power as the computer that took men to the moon. Back in 1969, we walk around with them in our pockets every day. We're going to do this right now. Healing is coming to this room. I want you to pray. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to pick somebody out of our contacts right now. Someone who's here or not here. Someone who is a part of Dayspring or not. And I want them to hear from you this morning. That you love them. That you have a word of encouragement for them. That you care for them. And that God brought them to your mind this morning, right now, as we sing. This is a move of God, Lord. I want you to encourage somebody right now. I want you to go ahead and do that right now. God, bring someone to our minds. 
This is a move, Lord, and it's going to start right here with Dayspring. And we're going to we're going to communicate your love, Lord. We're going to take our cell phones and we're going to we're going to take this computer and we're going to redeem it. We're going to make it glorify you. And so speak through your servants right now, Lord, as they reach out to someone that you've brought to their mind. 